Hello and welcome to Relinquish Podcast. My name is Travis. I'm Christina. Hello, Christina. Hello. Hello. Well, we're going to do something different for this. We're going to start a series about addiction and why it matters. And so this will be a, a different format than our controversial topics. So this will be an ongoing series. We're going to address what addiction is, what recovery is, and why do they matter. Those are all great points. Mm-hmm. So these episodes will be sprinkled amongst the controversial topic episodes. Is that right? That's right. My goal would be to release one of these in between each controversial episode. Are the episodes controversial? The addiction <laughs> ones? No, you said between each controversial episode. Yeah, they're controversial. Are they? Oh, yeah. Big time. Okay. Okay, so addiction is very important to me and the top the topic itself because I suffered from an addiction. I suffered from a debilitating and severe addiction to alcohol. And I am proud to say I'm f- over five years sober and yeah, you can do a woo woo. Yeah. And life has never been better. So this is a very near and dear topic to my heart, I guess our hearts. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I see a lot of men and women suffering from addictions. And I would like to help. And I would like everyone to help. And I think it starts with understanding what addiction is. Because before I suffered in my addiction, I had a misconception about addiction and who it affected I really equated someone deep in the despairs of addiction with someone living under a bridge or standing on the side of the road, asking for help or speaking to themselves, that kind of thing. What do you mean speaking to themselves? You know, standing on the corner and just talking to nobody. Oh. Being delusional. Speaking to themselves. That's what I said. Isn't that what I said? Speaking to themselves? Did I not say that? Okay. I don't know. You know what? We're going to rewind this and listen to it. If I had the ability to do it right now, I would do it right now. And then you could either be right or I could be wrong. What you said was speaking to themselves. (laughs) Did I? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what about you? Did you have a, has your, on about addiction? Oh man, my... My mind has been completely opened up. I definitely had misconceptions about addiction. I mainly thought um, I equated addiction with bad guys or whatever, bad people. Mm -hmm. And I really, I think, mistook alcohol abuse as someone being an alcoholic, mm-hmm. which means in the terms that I was familiar with, that they would were addicted to alcohol. And come to find out, alcohol abuse and being an alcoholic or being addicted to alcohol are totally different. Right. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't realize that there's an... In, when you are in full-blown addiction, that the element of choice doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And 
there are some really interesting studies that have been done that I've become familiar with. And one of the ones that really stands out is a study that was done with rats. And they were given, don't quote me on this, but I think it was cocaine, where they would push a little you know, thing in their cage and they would get administered, maybe it was heroin. Anyway, some drug. And they kept doing it and they kept getting the drug. And then eventually regardless of food being in the cage or water being in the cage, they ignored all of those things and they would keep seeking the drug until they died. Mm -hmm. And then they took the experiment further where they would get this drug and then eventually the drug would stop being administered, but they would still press the little lever or whatever it was even though nothing was being given to them, and even though there was food and there was water in the cage, they kept pressing it until they died. Right. And that, to me, really is a, a poignant picture of what addiction is and what it does to the brain. Mm-hmm. It's eye-opening. It is really eye-opening. And it's really complex. Like, I've learned that there are issues that have to do with gen- genetics, but that's only a piece. Mm-hmm. There are issues that have to do with maybe past trauma, but that's only a piece. Mm-hmm. There are issues, you know, there's just like all these different things that come together, um, that get tangled up together to create this mess that is addiction. Right. And it's becoming more and more prevalent in our society. So let's start with what is what is addiction? What's what's a definition of addiction that we can kind of work with? So I, I just kind of typed that into the uh, old search bar. And I got something from psychology today. I'm going to read it and then we can discuss whether or not that's kind of accurate or not. So according to psychology today, they define addiction as a person with an addiction uses a substance or engages in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeat the activity despite detrimental consequences. Addiction may involve the use of substances such as alcohol, inhalants, opioids, and nicotine, or behaviors such as gambling. And I'll add behaviors such as porn use. So what do you think? Does that sort of summarize addiction? So I think that is helpful. Another thing that might be helpful for some people is the information given in the DSM-5, which is what psychiatrists and counselors and psychologists use to diagnose certain disorders. And in the DSM-5, they have some criteria that are required for something to be considered a substance use disorder. So the first one is that you take the substance in larger amounts or for longer than you're meant to. Also, you want to cut down or stop using the substance, but you can't manage to. You spend a lot of time getting, using, or recovering from the use of the substance. Cravings and urges to use the substance are present. You can't manage to do what you should at work, home, or school because of substance use. You continue to use even when it causes problems in relationships. You give up important social, occupational, or recreational activities because of substance use. 
You use substances again and again, even when it puts you in danger. You continue to use even when you know you have a physical or psychological problem that could have been caused or even made worse by the substance. And you need more of the substance to get the effect that you want, so your tolerance changes. And lastly, you develop withdrawal symptoms, which can be relieved only by taking more of the substance. Wow. That was really good. It's a lot. I'm not a big fan of the DSM, but wow, that was really good. And just you reading that was kind of brought up some, some something in my mind. In that addiction, as we kind of alluded to earlier, is complex. And there are varying degrees of addiction. Because you can be addicted to coffee, like caffeine. But it's not going to ruin your life. I mean, it, I guess it can if you go way overboard. But I said the majority of us out there that have to have our coffee in the morning have some kind of an addiction to coffee. But it's not... And that's a substance, but that's not going to ruin a, a marriage typically, you know, unless you're fighting over, you know, whether or not you bought Folgers or Maxwell or whether or not you even have that kind of coffee in your house or not. But it's generally not going to ruin your life. Typically, smoking cigarettes isn't going to ruin your life as far as friends and behavior, depending on where you are. It's going to kill you, but it's not going to ruin your life. So much as a drug of some sort or a substance that is designed to, I don't know, give you that feel-good thing. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. I'm thinking of some interesting um, things that are included in the category or that may not be included in the category. Like for sure, caffeine and nicotine you can be addicted to. A lot of people in AA smoking cigarettes, but they're sober. And drinking coffee. <laughs> That's right, yes. Yeah, and drinking coffee. It's not very good coffee, but yes, and drinking coffee. But I was also thinking of things too, like there's substance addictions and then there's behavioral addictions. Mm -hmm. um, but thinking about the substance addition, addictions like you were talking about, I, I thought of sugar, which is more addictive oh, than cocaine. yes. And it can ruin your life, but in a different way. Mm, true. 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 It ruins your health, I guess, more than it ruins your life. Mm -hmm. That's good. So people are addicted. We've got all kinds of different things for us to be addicted to. Like the intertubular webs. Like the internet. Um, but as far as substances, let's maybe stick on that for a little bit. All right. Um, it's very prevalent way more prevalent than I ever would have imagined. And full disclosure here, I, again, and I'm recovering from an addiction, a very severe one. And I even had to go, it was so bad, I had to go to a 90-day treatment center. And for those of you who are not up on the nomenclature of recovery terms, a treatment center is rehab. That's right. <laughs> I don't like that word, but it's rehab. I had to go to rehab people for 90 days. I lived with other men who were addicts, heroin addicts, meth addicts, alcoholics. 
And it was really eye-opening for me. It was humbling and it was beautiful. I saw men who were in the, you know, grips of their addiction who were coming out of it, who helped me come out of it, who helped save my life. And I'm eternally grateful for that. The majority of the men in there were addicted to heroin. And we'll talk more about that, uh, either coming up on this episode or later. So being in treatment helped me get into what is called recovery. And so I, I came up with my own little definition of recovery. Maybe you can speak into it if it's not succinct enough or articulate enough. So recovery uh, is the process a person engages in to heal from an, an addiction, most often through a 12-step program such as AA. It includes therapy, physical exercise, and spiritual growth. Yeah, I would just say that earlier when I was kind of talking about that tangled up mess that contributes to and becomes addiction, mm. recovery is the process of disentangling the pieces Ooh. and being able to... Like untying a knot. Like untying a knot, yes. Like a giant one of yarn. And really a process of transformation, a process of rebuilding. I've heard recovery like into like a remodeling project mm-hmm. where you, you know, you got a place and then you make it into something really beautiful. And I think that definitely applies. But I would say that it's not exactly like a place being gutted and rebuilt. It's more like they use in recovery, they use the analogy of peeling the layers of an onion. So you're peeling back it's, it really is like disentangling, like a really knotted up ball of yarn. You're just kind of spending time figuring out all of the things that went into it and, and allowing healing in on every level. Mm. I really like the disentangling visual because that is so true. So recovery is great. We're going to use and we'll introduce you to terms familiar with recovery. Because of my own addiction, my wife, Christina here, has been thrusted into this world with me, and graciously so. And I, I so appreciate you doing everything you do and putting up with me. Well, and there are recovery <laughs> programs for mm-hmm. loved ones of those who suffer from addiction. So mm-hmm. I also am in recovery, even though I have not been addicted to anything. And except for your love for me, <laughs> except for that. That's right. And so the, the process is very similar, regardless of mm. who you are. If you're human and if you've been touched by addiction in some form or fashion, whether it's your own or that of someone else, recovery is that disentangling process. Mm-hmm. And chances are, statistically speaking, you know someone who has an addiction. And maybe you already know they have an addiction and they don't know, or maybe you don't realize somebody in your group has an addiction because they haven't come out yet. They right. haven't, hasn't manifested itself yet as far as being known. I had no idea that Travis had an addiction. Complete shocker. Yeah. And that, that's happening a lot. 
and the um the uh it's not just happening to the people you think are susceptible to addiction. Right. And that is why I want to do this. And that's why I think the two of us doing this together is going to be helpful because we we're taking the sorrow that came with uh, the things that I did and we are uh, using that to help bring life to others. And so I really want us to start this dialogue and this conversation with all of you out there to get you aware of what addiction is and what addiction isn't, who it affects. Because most, most people who have an addiction today are beautiful people who have been lost to this madness their sons, their daughters, they're your neighbor, they're your friends, they're somebody in your church. And we all can do something to help. We can volunteer. We can educate ourselves more about it. The first step is definitely educating yourself. And this may come as a surprise. But the D.A.R.E. program that we all went through as children, do you think it was effective? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Because in a sense, I have no response to that. Well, you know, I do have a response to something. (laughs) And it wasn't even said, but I'm going to respond to something that wasn't said. When um, When I was drinking and... I met uh, my counselor for the first time at, at treatment. He told me something I'd never heard before, but I've heard many times since. He said, my drinking was not my problem. And I was like, this is not a good selling point for you, man, because I'm, I'm here to like, I have a problem and I'm here to get it fixed. He said, no, drinking's not your problem. Drinking is your solution. The problem you have is not the drug or the drink. The problem you have is deep inside you. And I said, well, I don't know what it is. He goes, exactly. We're, we're here to help you figure that out so that you can get rid of it and so that you don't go to the drink as your solution to the problem. You do something else. And that's, that's, that's what is what recovery is. Amen. Is figuring out what that problem is, getting rid of it, and not doing it alone. Right. Community is so important in recovery. And actually, in recovery, that's something that they do really well because mm-hmm. they have to, to survive. Yes. It is essential to survive. So with that, we're going to move on to, I want to kind of go over some stats about addiction today. I've got, I got these stats from AmericanAddictionCenters.org. And number one, according to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, 19.7 million American adults aged 12 and older battled a substance use disorder in 2017. Almost 74% of adults suffering from a substance use disorder in 2017 struggled with an alcohol use disorder. 
about 38% of adults in 2017 battled an illicit drug use disorder. 38%. That's like four in 10 adults. Right. Wow. And I think that's probably a low estimate or a low number, in my opinion. Hmm. That same year, one out of every eight adults struggled with both alcohol and drug use disorders simultaneously. Wow. Yeah. In 2017, 8.5 million American adults suffered from both a mental health disorder and a substance use disorder or co-occurring disorders. And drug abuse and addiction cost American society more than $740 billion annually in lost workplace productivity, healthcare expenses, and crime-related costs. Kind of sounds like a big deal. It does. I mean, I don't know about you, but that, that's almost a trillion dollars just in a year in cost. Kind of a big deal. Let's go into some specific facts on, on specific drugs. Do you want to take one? Sure. Okay. We'll start with cocaine. About 966,000 American adults over the age of 12 struggled with a cocaine use disorder in 2017. That same year, 637,000 people aged 12 and older received treatment for a cocaine use disorder either in their last or current stay in rehabilitation. Wow. Okay, let's talk about heroin, which that's, is... That's a biggie. That's a biggie. I had no idea heroin was such a big deal these days until I was in treatment. And I'd say 90% of the um, clients there with me were there because of heroin. And I always thought heroin was like, I don't know, just one of those... You had to be a hardcore drug user to be a heroin user. And Mm -hmm. that's just not the case anymore, as these stats will show us. So let's go in. About 652,000 people aged 12 and older had a heroin use disorder in 2017. Almost a quarter of people who abuse heroin will become addicted to it. Heroin use has risen in most demographic groups in the United States over the past two decades, says the CDC. Individuals addicted to alcohol are two times more likely to also be addicted to heroin, while those addicted to marijuana are three times more likely. Individuals addicted to cocaine are 15 times more likely, and people addicted to prescription drugs are 40 times more likely to be addicted to heroin. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because in my experience, at least in the last five years of being in the world of addiction um, and and in treatment, the majority, if not all, of of the men who were in treatment with me who had a heroin addiction started with a prescription addiction. And all their stories were very similar someone had an injury and they went to the hospital or the doctor and it was an injury that caused consistent pain. And so they were prescribed some sort of opioid for as the painkiller and they were probably overprescribed these pills and they started taking them and they got addicted. And so they started going to various doctors to get a refill 
were to get a new prescription f- claiming they had pain. And that became very expensive. It's a very expensive habit. And so after a while, they realized, I can't afford this anymore. And they're introduced to heroin, and heroin is extremely cheap, thanks to the war in Afghanistan. Worldwide heroin um, circulation is a lot. So, Why is that connected? Well, we could get into that in another show. But That's cool. I just, I've seen, I mean, I feel like the opioid epidemic is pretty well documented as far as mainstream mm-hmm. um, outlets. And right. that's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. Well, that's another show. That's a long discussion. Okay. But the opioid epidemic is definitely at the hands of the pharmaceutical industry, Purdue being one of them. And that is a well-known, I mean, they were, Purdue Pharma has been finally in the headlines and it took many years for them to get prosecuted for that. But as a result, a lot of physicians are less likely to overprescribe these pills. I think it's interesting the way it's laid out here that at least in my view, okay, there's alcohol and then there's marijuana, which, you know, might seem more of like a more serious drug than alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then cocaine, which for me definitely seems like more of a serious drug than alcohol or marijuana. But on top of all of that, prescription drugs. Yeah. So, I mean, on one hand, that, 40 times. Yeah. That make, on one hand that makes sense because just because they're prescription drugs doesn't mean they're not, it doesn't mean they're dissimilar from illegal drugs. Right. Technically a prescription opioid, opioid drug is no different than heroin right. and what it does to you. Right. It's just legal. Right. <laughs> so like, for example, I don't know if any of you out there have had this experience, but I've noticed it in the past 10 years, maybe more, but it's not like I've been to the hospital that often. But when you go to a hospital, emergency room, or you're in there for any kind of reason, the number one pain relieving, you know, uh, medicine they offer you is morphine. Right. Why on earth would they give you morphine as your first that's the first thing. I don't know where that word that started and where that came from, but it's been my experience. It's been your experience. And um, well, and not only that, but if you try to get something that's not morphine, it's difficult. That was my experience. Mm-hmm. I went to the hospital. I was in extreme pain. Which side note? I think it's interesting that all these young people are going to the hospital in extreme pain. Sure. But anyway, and. I was offered, you know, I was told that the only thing they could give me was morphine and Mm -hmm. I refused it. Even though I was going to pass out from the pain, I said, no, thanks. And then, you know, lo and behold, time passes and someone different comes into the room and says, oh, well, we can give you, you know, prescription strength ibuprofen. And I'm like, yes, please. So they gave it to me. I was fine. You were fine. You were great. Totally fine. I mean, morphine is just another form of like heroin. But it's okay when a doctor or hospital gives it to you, but it's not okay when you're getting it from a street vendor because heroin is technically derived from opium. Well, I think 
too. I mean, this um, statistic is prescription drugs which aren't necessarily opioids. No. I'm sure a lot of them are, but it's a mixture of opioids and other prescription drugs. Sure, but I would probably say 90% of them are, are some sort of opioid-based prescription med. And there's a lot. I had no idea how many... I had no idea how many there are. There are tons. People are using all these different street names for them that I'd never heard of. I've never, I've was never a pill popper. I hate taking pills. But the same, the same is true for the stimulants. You know, there were a couple of dudes in there who were meth addicts. And one of them was a meth addict because of being addicted to Redlin or Adderall, one of those. Mm-hmm. And then one of them was just, you know, addicted to the prescription pills. And on our last episode, we we mentioned a stat about that prescriptions, medications, people are becoming more and more addicted to them. And so when I think it's important for us in the conversation of addiction, especially in America, that we're not just talking about street drugs. We're right. talking about legal drugs as well. I think legal drugs are in the top 10 causes of death in our country, if not the top five. They're within the top five, yeah. Yeah. And well, I guess that makes sense because alcohol is legal and that's also a huge addiction thing. Well, I think pres- I mean, prescription drugs right. are like in the top prescription. Yeah, five. Pre- yeah. Okay, so let's talk about some of prescription drugs stats. Absolutely. You want to talk about them? Sure. Okay. The most common types of prescription drugs that are abused in 2017 were pain relievers, tranquilizers, stimulants, and sedatives. Wait, pain relievers, tranquilizers, stimulants, and sedatives. Three of those sound like the same thing. Okay, keep going. In 2017, about 1.7 million people aged 12 and older had a pain reliever use disorder, or about six-tenths of a percent of this population. Women may more rapidly develop a prescription painkiller dependence than men, interestingly. They're also more likely to have chronic pain, be prescribed pain relievers, and receive higher doses. Well, I didn't know that. According to a study published in the journal Substance Abuse Treatment Prevention and Policy, individuals who were admitted to opioid treatment programs who abused only prescription opioids or those who abused both heroin and prescription opioids were about five years younger than individuals admitted solely for heroin abuse or dependency. Wow. It's interesting. That was kind of my experience too. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting facts. And I would I would argue that there were a lot more people than 1.7 million age 12 or older who are having a disorder it's just not known. Sure. Or reported. So let's talk about marijuana. So marijuana, approximately 4.1 million American adults over the age of 12 battled a marijuana use disorder in 2017. I wonder what constitutes a disorder for marijuana. The majority of people struggling with marijuana addiction in 2017 were between the ages of 12 and 25. Mm. That's interesting. It is. A lot of people don't realize that there are people who suffer from from an addiction to pot. Like, that's not a stat that I read. That's just me talking. Um, Let me, let's see, 
Let me read one more stat and we'll discuss. I, I was jumping the gun here. Almost 6% of full-time college students in the United States were daily marijuana smokers in 2014. This is more than triple the number of daily smokers in this population 20 years prior. Which was our day. Which was our day, yeah. <laughs> hey, don't tell them how old we are. Wow. Yeah, okay. So taking it back to the grunge era in, in our day, pot was no big deal. Like it was very recreational, kind of like alcohol is. And in, in our culture at the time, I, I mean like, you know, the young population. Look, I, I smoked a little pot when I was young. Uh, I, I didn't exhale, but <laughs> it, it was... <laughs> it was very normal. Kind of like what you see in the movies. It was very normal. Not in my culture. Well, you grew up in the country. I grew up in the city. Yeah. To me, people who smoked marijuana were like running away from the cops and robbing banks and like just really bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Not here. It was like everybody did it. And, uh, you know, sorry, parents, but yeah, everybody did it. And it was very, very normal. normal. But it was also... I think the pot back then was very weak, I guess, at least the kind that was got here. Not as strong as maybe the weed that's today. I don't, I don't know. My point is it was very normal. People did it recreationally. And we always had this sort of belief around it that, you know, it was a very safe kind of drug to do because we never experienced anybody get violent on it. We weren't seeing people get hooked on it to the degree that we were told that people would in the D.A.R.E. programs. We weren't witnessing people losing their life, you know, their lifestyle or their family because of smoking pot. Does that happen now? I don't know. That's, you know, maybe it does. I don't know. I think marijuana is one of those that is not as bad as heroin or cocaine, it's still a it's still a mind altering substance. So I'm not I'm not promoting marijuana here. I'm I'm talking sure. about how in my experience it was very I don't know it was as common and harmless as alcohol was. If it was less harmless than alcohol, because you know people weren't getting less harmful. Or, yeah, har did I say harmless? Harm <laughs> harmful. People weren't getting in, you know car accidents high on weed but they were a lot of kids in our high school were getting in car wrecks from from drunk driving a few kids died from a drunk car wreck in, in my high school anyway all that to say i think nowadays today as it gets legalized and as it you know is becoming more widespread I'm not sure, and it might be something worth investigating, but I think some of the pot out there is getting a lot stronger and is, is having side effects that we weren't aware of back when I was young, because maybe they weren't there, maybe they were, but... They probably were. They probably, well, maybe. I mean, too, for any drug, illegal drug, I'll say, mm -hmm. if you're spending money on it, you're supporting drug cartels right. and, and 
evil entities human behind, trafficking. yeah, human yes. trafficking, like all of these things that probably when you were young, you weren't thinking of. No, we looked at marijuana, like the movie Friday with Ice Cube and what's his name? Chris, Chris, I don't know. Someone out there knows his name. I can't think of it, but you guys remember the, you remember the movie Friday? I remember Friday. Yeah. So we looked at it like that. We all thought it's a harmless thing to do, but it's not. You know, if you're, if you're purchasing any kind of drug, whether it be what you think is harmless because it's grown straight from the earth or whatever, you're supporting a drug cartel that grows it or manufactures it, sells it, and does horrific human rights violations to people in order to do that. And so you think a $20 you know, bag of weed isn't doing anything, it's doing a lot of bad stuff. And that goes for other drugs too, well, right? That goes for other drugs too. Sure. And you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that also goes towards legal drugs. Oh, for sure. Prescription drugs. You're, you're supporting some pretty bad companies, in my opinion. Immoral. Immoral. I'm going to say, I'm going to say bad. Okay. They're bad. And we'll, we will dedicate an entire <laughs> series of episodes on them. But let's move on to alcohol. Do you want to read some alcohol sure. stats? So in 2017, an estimated 14.5 million American adults aged 12 and older battled an alcohol use disorder, or 5.3% of this population. Over half of all American adults have a family history of problem drinking or alcohol addiction. I'm going to read that one again. Yeah, yeah. Over half of all American adults have a family history of problem drinking or alcohol addiction. So chances are, if you're listening to this, you're one of them. Or you know someone. Right. More than 10% of U.S. children live with a parent with alcohol problems. That's a lot. I got to read that again, too. More than 10% of U.S. children live with a parent with alcohol problems. Guys, that's heavy. That's heavy. An estimated 88,000 people die from alcohol-related causes annually. Alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States. 47% of the 78,529 liver diseases among people aged 12 and older in 2015 involved alcohol. Can you, wait, can you imagine a 12-year-old having a liver disease because of alcohol? I'm shocked that there's over 78,000 different liver diseases, actually. Half I, of them are well, alcohol-related. No, no, I, I think that might be number of people with liver diseases. Okay, that makes more <laughs> sense. <laughs> different kinds. Oh, dear. Oh, I was man. like, do I have a liver disease? <laughs> <laughs> I might have a liver disease. Man, 78,000. That's a, Okay. I think that's people. Yeah, okay. okay. So half of all, all of the 78,000 people mm -hmm. who had it. Okay. 40% of all hospital beds in the United States are used to treat conditions related to alcohol consumption. That's a pretty large number. 40% of all hospital beds in the United States are used to treat conditions related to alcohol consumption. Right. Wow. Yeah. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Because alcohol is my jam because that's what I suffered from. And I, I know it really well. I mean, I 
relate to these statistics in the sense that I'm married to you and I've seen that in you. Mm-hmm. Also, my biological father was killed by a drunk driver. Right. My stepfather died from alcohol abuse, mm-hmm. complications related to that. Right. So I, yeah, I'm more familiar with this than most of the other ones. Right. So I don't even know which one I, I want to unpack first, but let's start. Let's start with just the eighty-eight thousand people dying from alcohol-related causes. You know, in our, in our last episode, we kind of unpacked the gun control, gun rights debate. And one of the major drive, driving forces behind that debate are the the annual death toll caused by gun or gun violence. And so that creates this emotional response, as it should, to want to make changes to prevent people from dying at the hands of a gun every year. And so you've got all different kinds of coalitions and nonprofit organizations and, you know, activists getting together on on both sides to either secure the rights of firearms or to prevent the rights of firearms with the basis of kind of preventing these preventable deaths, which, you know, at its highest is like 30,000 a year, which includes suicide. So, And we have those for alcohol too, those organizations and those efforts. Sure. But I, I rarely see the uproar and the hoopla in the, in the press re- related to this. And this is a, an obviously a much bigger problem. It is a much bigger problem, but it's also a much older problem. It is a much older problem. So I think people are desensitized to it because it's been around. Sure. That's a good point. That's a really, well, I mean, I don't think you can get older than guns. Right. But gun deaths have grown over time. That's true. And maybe alcohol deaths have too, but alcohol deaths have been big. That's true. They've been big for a long, long, long time. For a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, people have been abusing alcohol for a long, long time. Yeah, generations long time. and generations. Long time. Thousands of years. Yeah. Ever since it's Before been the thing. United States was, <laughs> there was alcohol. There was alcohol. And look, alcohol isn't bad. I'm not against alcohol. But abusing it is a problem. And as these numbers are indicating, I think there is a big, you know, we're seeing more and more abuse of drugs and alcohol um, over time. And I think that's a problem, especially if close to 100,000 people just from alcohol are dying per year. Well, you know, but we also want to fight for the right to be able to choose to drink alcohol. There's got to be... Yeah, we learned that prohibition is not the answer. Right. We tried that. Yeah, people are going to do it anyway. Okay, so let's... That's the last one we're going to do is alcohol. So, I mean, you know, what does this all mean? Look, we just gave some statistics. People are using drugs. People are using prescription drugs. And we're seeing a pattern. And it's not just us. I'm sure all of you are starting to, starting to see a pattern of addiction becoming more and more prevalent in your own life. And we, we, we've only touched on substance abuse. Addiction has its reach in all corners of life. There's internet addiction, there's pornography addiction, gambling addiction, 
and I'm sure, you know, social media addiction, maybe. Oh, man. We, the list goes on well, I mean, and on list and on. Goes on. Sugar. Sh- oh, right. Sugar. We're going to have to do a sugar one. Workaholism. Workaholism. Yeah, that's true. People are addicted to exercise. Smoking. Sure. Nicotine. Now, not all of these are going to cause your life to into turmoil, but I think it's important for us. Let's just focus on these substances for now. I think it's important for us to, one, recognize we have a problem. That's kind of step number one in the 12 steps. We have a problem as a nation and as a world. We have a problem with being addicted. And as I mentioned earlier, the substance itself is not our problem. What we need to do is figure out why are we turning to these behaviors in the first place that are destructive? Why are we abusing these things in the first place? And why are we seeing a rise in that? Something is happening to, in our culture, just like something is happening that's causing the suicide rate to drastically in, increase. We're experiencing an epidemic of drug addiction right now. So what can we do about it? Well, one, we're going to continue talking about addiction in this series, and it's going to be an ongoing conversation. It's going to also be peppered with my own story of my experience. I would like to maybe share in each episode one story of when I was in treatment that greatly affected me. I hope my story will shed some light on the severity of addiction as well as some hope for a way out. So in this episode, it looks like we've delved mainly into addiction and not so much into recovery. So the next episode in this series, we'll definitely be talking more about recovery and the hope that there is an overcoming in addiction. So be on the lookout for that in the next month or so. And if you have been affected or impacted by addiction, please feel free to reach out to us and tell us your story. Or if you're needing some help, contact us. Of course, it'll be confidential. And we'll see if we can point you in a direction to someone in your area that might be able to help. That's right. So with that, we want to say Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year. Woo-hoo. Yeah. With so many of you listening out there, please hear this. 2021 is going to be an amazing year, regardless of any outside circumstance. And I want to encourage you with some words from the Apostle Paul. And he says... For I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. That comes from the book of Philippians. And a quote that kind of sums that up is, While we don't know what tomorrow holds, we do know who holds tomorrow. So with that, we will say goodbye until you join us next time as we respectfully agree to disagree.